Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you here today. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here, and we're so glad you've joined us. If you are uh, new with us, we just want to give a special welcome to you. If you are a college student who's returning for the fall, welcome back. If you're a college student and this is your first fall here, uh, welcome. Uh, We love you, and we love that you are here. Uh, My life was radically changed in college. Uh, When I went to college, I had walked away from the local church. I wasn't walking closely with God. And through some people like this around you in this room, in a room like this, in a local church, God used those people to wreck my life in a good way. And I, I definitely wasn't on the path to being a pastor at that moment, but now here we are. And so some of you, maybe you're going to be a pastor Uh, Some of you are going to go sit in a cube one day. Some of you are going to be students, obviously, for a while. But through all of that, God is going to transform you, and he's just beginning to write your story. It's just like chapter one. And he's about to write a story. And so I'm so excited. We're so excited to see that story play out and to see God transform your life while you're here in college. If you are a college student and you're new, or if you're just here and you are new, uh, you're coming at a perfect time. We are uh, almost to the finish line of the Gospel of Mark, Who Do You Say That I Am? This series looking at the life of Jesus and how his life affects our lives. And, and some of you may be thinking, well, Tim, it's not the perfect time because we're ending the series. Like, haven't I missed something? And I would say, yes, go back and listen to the podcast, listen to the whole series, but you have come these next two weeks to see the most two important, significant events in all of history, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And so if you're new to church, if you're new to Christianity, this is, these next two weeks, this is what our faith is about. And so you don't have to waste time going through the, all the other stuff or some topics. You're going to get the crux of Christianity today and next week. So you came at a good time. And I want to pray as we venture into this, so let's do that together. Father, thank you for these two events, for the death and resurrection of Jesus. I thank you that you allow us in just to to see a vivid picture, an intimate window into your son, Jesus. And we've gotten to see his life and his miracles and his profound teaching. And now we get to see him as a suffering servant, beaten and mocked and killed on a cross. And God, while we know he rises in victory and there is glory, God, I pray that today there would just be a little bit of us that sits in the grief of death and sees its implications for our lives. And so God, we pray in this moment you would soften our hearts to that. You would make our minds attentive. You would open our ears to the word that you want to to speak to us this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen, amen. Well, hey, we are going to be in the book of Mark, Mark 15. If you want to grab a Bible and go there, pull it up on your phone, Mark 15, 21 through 41. And just to set the stage a little bit, here's some of what we're going to see. We're going to see darkness. Uh, We're going to see literal darkness. We're going to see spiritual darkness. And I I don't know how many of you have ever seen literal darkness. Uh, It's hard in Phoenix, amen? Amen. Right, the sun, if you are new to Phoenix, the sun shines literally every day, right? So you, maybe you've never been in literal darkness, but maybe you have kind of like you went camping in Flagstaff and you saw some darkness. Maybe you have like blackout curtains in your house and you saw some, 
some darkness. I, I know for me, a couple years ago, uh, every Easter, I go on a hike with some pastors after Easter. The day after Easter, it's kind of a decompression for pastors after the biggest event of the year. And a couple years ago, I went with some pastors on, on our hike for the year, and we went to uh, the lava tubes outside of Flagstaff. And if you've never done the lava tubes, you should do them. It's a great thing in Arizona. And it's a hike, but it's not a hike above ground. It's a hike underground. And so literally, if you can picture it, you drive up, you park, you walk up, and you see some rocks. And then you see a hole, and you have to crawl down in the hole, crouch down. Some of you claustrophobic nightmare, right? Some of you are like the, about to get sick right now listening to this, but I'm sorry. It was a great hike. Sorry. Uh, but you, you crouch down. You crawl down into the hole. It's cold in there. And you walk down, and then you can actually stand up once you get in there, so it's not too bad, claustrophobics, right? And you begin to hike in this tunnel, this lava tube. And you can go all the way to the end, and this is what we did. And we have headlamps on, and we have our phones out, and you're, there's a lot of people doing this. But we go all the way to the end, and we plan to do this, go all the way to the end, and as much as possible, if we could get rid of the other extra people, and we could just get by ourselves, and we did that. And we got all the way to the end of this dark tunnel, and we all turned off our phones and switched off our headlamps. And it was complete pitch black darkness. Couldn't see my hand in front of my face. Now, there's a few things that happen when you're in complete darkness. Right? One, it is a little bit cold. Right? Two, even if you're not claustrophobic, you're a little bit scared. Come on now. I mean, you're just, I don't know what's crawling around me. I don't know who, I mean, I knew the pastors. I think they're Christians. Like, I don't think they're going to hurt me. Like, but there's still a little bit of fear. Like, I don't even know. I can't see anything even right next to me. And there's some cold and there's some darkness and there's some isolation. Even, I remember, even though I was with people, it kind of felt isolated because it was dark. See, as we look at Mark 15, 21 through 41, we're going to see the darkest moment in history. It is going to be literal darkness. We're going to see that. But it's also spiritual darkness. And it's the darkest moment. And it's going to feel a little cold. And it's going to feel a little isolated. And it's going to feel a little scary. And it was that even for Jesus. And we're going to see that as we dive in. So Mark 15, look at the text with me. We'll start in verse 21. It says this. It says, and they, that's Roman soldiers, compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. It says, and they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. That would have been a narcotic. It says, but he didn't take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. This was a fulfillment of Psalm 22. And it says, and it was the third hour, that was about 9 a.m., when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot even save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. 
Now to set the stage, this is the crucifixion of Christ. This is after Jesus has been tried, mocked already, and beaten. And now we see the cross. And the first thing, if you just look at that text with me, the first thing you notice is crucifixion was not an efficient way to die. There's simpler, faster ways to execute somebody, right? Even in that day, the the cross wasn't a, a simple, fast way to kill somebody. The whole point was that it wasn't. The whole point was this would draw out someone's death. The whole point was humiliation. Now, there was physical pain involved, right? Uh, We see that in Mark's description. We see that in the other gospel accounts of this description of the cross. We know that Simon has to carry his cross, most likely because Jesus was so badly beaten he couldn't carry it himself. We know that Jesus was nailed to a wooden beam through his hands for about six hours. We know from history that there's several ways to die from crucifixion. There could be acute shock from blood loss. There could be suffocation from being too exhausted to breathe. There could be dehydration. There could be heart attack induced by stress. There was physical pain involved, but it was also about public shame. You see, you got to picture the cross, and some of you can do this. You've seen crosses, even if you're newer to church. You've watched a movie about it. You can see a cross is elevated. It puts somebody up where everyone can see. And it's not just the cross being elevated. The cross is on a hill. And so it's not just about physical pain. It's about public shame. It's about humiliation. And we see it in this moment. We see that Jesus has his garments, and they're not with him anymore. He's not wearing them anymore. Other people are casting lots for him. There's two pieces of that that would have been humiliating, right? One is you've got the Son of God. His clothes are now off of him, and people are basically throwing dice to decide who gets them. It's humiliating. But you also see, and we often don't think of this, but If his garments were being cast lots for and people are trying to get them, what does Jesus have on? Maybe nothing. And now in our paintings, our pictures, we put a little loincloth. And maybe he had that, but maybe he was naked. This was humiliation. We see that Jesus is mocked, verse 26. His position is mocked, king of the Jews. Verse 31, they mocked his power. They said, he saved others. He can't even save himself. They are calling Jesus an imposter and weak. It's humiliation. And now you may look at that, and if you notice, well, Tim, he is offered like wine and myrrh, and that was a narcotic. I mean, some people weren't humiliating Jesus. Some people were trying to help Jesus. And what I would say is the reason Jesus is getting that narcotic is to to soften, to numb the pain so he could experience it longer, so he could be mocked longer, so he could be humiliated even longer. They wanted him to last so they could stretch out the humiliation as far as possible. So this is about physical pain, but it's also about public shame. It's humiliation. Now, as I studied this, 
Like many of you, I've studied this passage before. I've seen the passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson. Like I grew up, you you go to church and you see a cross. We have a cross. I kind of know the story of the cross. But even as I studied this this week, what happens is what always happens to me. I always think, especially if you see it vividly in a movie, I always see it. And Jesus is on this cross, son of God, judge, Messiah, king. He's on on this cross. And and I always kind of think, why doesn't he come down? Hey, Jesus, you could have come down. You could have called a multitude of angels and come down. You by yourself in all authority and all power, you could have come down. Like, Jesus, why don't you come down? And listen, I know he doesn't come down. I know he dies on the cross. I know it's going to happen. But I kind of think as I read about it, as I watch it, I think, but, but what if you did? Right? And maybe you've done this in just another movie or book you've read. You know the outcome of it. You know it's about to happen, but you think, what if it didn't happen that way? And as I studied this this week, I felt that again, like, Jesus, what if you came down? Why don't you come down? And the reality is it wasn't just me thinking that. The people in that day, they were thinking the same thing. Three times in this passage, they say, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, you could just come down. Hey, let him come down. If he's really who he says he is, let him come down. And maybe you've asked that question. Why does he have to die this gruesome death? Why does Jesus Christ, the son of God, who who brings little children around them and and, and hugs people and, and heals people, why does that Jesus, why does he have to die a gruesome death on the cross? Why couldn't he come down? Maybe you've asked that question. And the answer to that question is Jesus had to deal directly with sin. Jesus, for Jesus to really bring healing, it wasn't just good enough for him to have profound teaching. For Jesus to really bring healing to this world, that's why Jesus came. It wasn't just good enough to have profound teaching, amazing miracles, amazing healings. Jesus had to deal with a problem that was deeper than that. Several months ago, I... uh, I had a problem with my foot, and the problem with my foot was I had a a massive splinter in it, and it wasn't just like a little splinter, like it was a massive one that was debilitating, it was hard to walk, and now I'm not, let me just show you, I'm not very flexible, that's the best I could do, and so I couldn't get, like, I couldn't get the splinter out by myself, and so naturally I called my wife, babe, can you come here for a second, I got issues, Right, I got something in my foot. She comes over, and, and I needed her help. Now, she didn't do this, all right? She's in kids' ministry, so you're just going to need to know she didn't do this, right? Don't, don't tell her the story like she did this. She didn't do this, but what if, in that moment, massive splinter in my foot, debilitating pain, what if in that moment my wife comes over and, and sees my foot and is just like, oh, babe, that's disgusting. I mean, want you going to look at your foot? Really? I mean, I know I said for better or worse, but not the foot. (laughs) And you got, that is a massive splinter. Like, oh, I cannot stand to even look at that, much less deal with that. And what if she said, but babe, you know what I'll do since I do love you. And I did commit my vows to you and my life to you at our wedding day a long time ago. But (laughs) since I did that, you know what I'm going to do for you, babe? I'm going to go get you some Neosporin. Runs off, gets some Neosporin, comes back. I still can't, I can't look at it. I can't even, I can't deal with that. 
But babe, I'll give you some Neosporin. She takes some Neosporin and she rubs it on the surface of my foot and then walks away. What's the problem with that? One day, my foot's going to fall off, right? What? Because I got something in my foot. I need some surgery. I need some tweezers. I need her to grab my foot, look at it with all she has, dig that splinter out, right? Now, is that going to hurt? Is that going to hurt her? Yeah. Is that going to hurt me? Yeah. But through that hurt is where I actually find healing. Why can't Jesus come down off the cross? Why can't Jesus just love a few more people, do some more miracles, have some amazing teaching? Why does he have to to die a gruesome death on a cross? It's because you and I don't have a surface level problem that just needs some neosporin or just some good words or just some amazing miracles. You and I have a problem that goes deep to the core of our soul. It's in deep and it needs some surgery. And it needs to be dug out, right? And Jesus stays up on a cross, and he has to be killed on a bloody cross for six hours because of our our sin, And some of you, you hear that, and maybe you've seen the passion of the Christ, and you've seen the cross, and maybe, and you've heard in the news, like, I mean, it just seems like divine child abuse. I mean, it's just so graphic and so gruesome. And like, we can do we have to really think about the cross? Can we just think about all the nice things Jesus did? And Jesus, you know, his hair was flowing and he had blue eyes and he didn't have any of those things, by the way. Um, and why can't we just focus on like nice Jesus? Why do we got to focus on graphic, gruesome Jesus? For sin? Like, I mean, I, I know there's some bad people out there who sinned and are in prison. Like, I, Tim, I know, like, there's some bad sin in the world. But, I mean, like, my sin, like, I mean, my gossip and my lies and my lustful thoughts. He's got to die for six hours on a cross being mocked and humiliated for that. And you see, the reality is you have to look and understand what sin is. You see, sin goes back to the very beginning. That God created everything, and it was good. He created everything, and it was very good. And we have all these good gifts like sex, like food, like drink, like words. And God gave us all these good things, but from the very beginning, it didn't take long, two chapters, Genesis 3, we began to distort those good gifts. And that distortion brought about destruction. And those little lies and little gossip, they brought about betrayal. And that little hurtful thing and selfish desire, it brought about bitterness. And that little lust, just that little pornography, I mean, nobody even sees that. That brought about a culture of abuse, of objectifying women who are created in the image of God with inherent dignity and worth. And that little pornography, little lust, brings about sexual assault and abuse, and divorce. And it doesn't take long to realize, like, we got some good gifts, and there's been distortion, and that distortion leads to a destruction, even the littlest of sin. It's like a fire in a fireplace, which is a good thing. And again, many of you have never experienced that because you live in Phoenix, right? It's so hot here, but listen, my family and I, we, we put on a fire in a fireplace when it gets below, like, 68 degrees. Why? 
because it's a good thing. We like the warmth of it. We like the ambiance of it. Our kids like to roast marshmallows in the fire. It's a good thing. But listen, what happens when the fire gets out of the fireplace? It burns everything down. And listen, just to to take my house analogy, if I had a fire in my fireplace, warmth, ambiance, the fire gets out of the fireplace, it's no longer a good thing, it's been distorted, it's escaping, it's spreading across my house. But listen, not just my house, it might spread to somebody else's house, my neighbor's house, down the street, and it might destroy everything. Why? Because this fire, this good thing has been distorted, and now it's leading to destruction, And those little lies and those little gossips, they lead to betrayal and bitterness and that little lust and that little pornography. It's just hurting me, right? No. It's burning your house down. It's burning your neighbor's houses down. Jesus had to stay upon a cross to pay for that, to pay for sin. And so there's humiliation There's public shame. There's physical pain because of sin. There's not just humiliation. There is separation. Look at verse 33. It says this, And when the sixth hour had come, now it's noon, so during the day, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour That's 3 p.m. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and mother the, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the younger, and James, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. It says when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So you have, if you caught the hours, you have Jesus six hours on a cross, three hours in the middle of the day, there was complete Darkness. Now you have to ask why. why. Why is the darkness? Well, the darkness symbolizes separation. You see, the reality is sin doesn't just distort and cause destruction. Sin causes separation. There's a gap. You see this from the very beginning with the sin of Adam and Eve. You see that they were kicked out of the garden. Why? Because the presence of God was in the garden. They sinned. God's holy. You got to leave the garden. You see it in the temple in the Old Testament with the Israelites that they were to worship a holy God, but they were sinful. So what do they do? They put a curtain in the temple. And there was a barrier, and sin leads to separation. It's always been that way. And so now you have this moment, complete darkness, cold, fear, isolation. It's the middle of the day, and yet darkness has fallen all over the land. Why? It's because sin leads to separation. Now, Jesus is the sinless son of God. 
yet he is separated. It's not his sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, he was perfect, to be sin. See, in this moment of physical pain and public shame, Jesus is not just our example. Jesus is our substitute. He became sin. Like the pornography, the lust, the greed, the gossip, the lies, all the little things, all the big things, all the sin that you remember, all the sin that you have forgotten, all the sin that you have not committed yet, Jesus in a moment became that. And not just for you, if you can think about all of your sin, just picture all of your sin, I know it's hard, but just picture all of your sin, not just the sin you've committed recently, Not just the cycle of sin in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or your 50s. The sin since you were a little kid. All the way to death. All the lust. All the gossip. All the greed. All that compiled together. All the the thoughts, the words, the deeds. Everything together. And picture that sin and multiply that times 100 billion or however many people have been in the world for all time. God made Jesus who knew no sin. Become that. Become sin. All of sin. And so there's humiliation, but there's also separation. There's darkness. We sing a song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, and it says, The Father turns his face away. That's what's happening. And now, you, you think about that. The Father turns his face away from who? Jesus, the Son of God. You go back to the beginning of Mark. I know it was over a year ago. (laughs) But you go back to the beginning. This gospel starts out in the beginning. The story of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus, the Son of God. We see in Mark chapter 1 this beautiful moment where the, the spirit descends like a dove. The Father says, I'm well pleased with my Son as Jesus is baptized. And we see over and over in the Gospels this unification between Jesus and the Father. And then you begin to realize the whole story of the Bible. This has always been this way. It didn't start in Mark 1 that Jesus was the beloved Son of God. That was from eternity past. I mean, just get a headache from that. Right? The Father and the Son, like, just boggles your mind. From eternity past, the only existence Jesus ever knew was being one with the Father. Now, he's separated from the Father because he's sin for you, for me, for the whole world. And so Jesus is experiencing something, think about it, he's never experienced before. Separation from his Father. There's humiliation, there's separation. The last thing is there's invitation. Now, this is hard to see. Everything is pretty grim at this moment. Maybe you can feel that even in this room. Like, Tim, it's pretty tense today. Humiliation, separation, because of sin. But there is an invitation And I thought about, like, how do you make that transition from humiliation and separation to now good news, invitation? How how do we do that? You you feel that tension, don't you? We know that the cross 
was the worst Friday in all of history. Right? It was the darkest moment in all of history. And yet, every Easter, the Friday before, we call it what? Good. And it's not, and it's not even just good. Last Good Friday, we talked about this and, and said, hey, it's the best Friday in all of history. Good doesn't even describe it. It's the best Friday. But yet, it's also the worst Friday. We say it again at Easter. We say, hey, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Right? And what we're talking about there is this, this tension between there's humiliation, there's separation, but there's also invitation. There's the grief of death, but there's also the glory of resurrection, right? And, and it's right to live in that tension. But as I, I studied this and thought about this sermon, I thought, well, how am I going to make this switch? Like, maybe I can bring an illustration that would help. And I thought about, like, you know, illustrations just behind the scenes of a pastor's sermon. Like, illustrations are helpful because they show that this is like that, right? Scripture was written a long time ago. Like, this is kind of like that. And it helps you see more vividly what God is teaching us, right? And so I thought about maybe I'll bring an illustration. Like, maybe, like, I'm driving in Phoenix, and it is 115 degrees outside. And I got oven mitts on my hands because my steering wheel is too hot, right? And I'm driving, I'm sweating, my AC's blown a little bit, but the sun and the heat is just overcoming it. And I'm so hot, 115 degrees, steering wheel's hot. I'm like, this is hard, this is not good, but I think I'm going home to get in the pool. Like the pool is, is coming, but wow, I'm so hot and I'm 30 minutes away from home and that's going to be a long time. Like I know there's going to be glory, but right now there is grief. And I thought about maybe, maybe I could tell that story, like give that illustration. Like that's kind of like this tension. And I thought, that's dumb. That would be the stupidest thing ever because this is not like that. You, you can't think of an illustration to compare the death of Jesus, the grief of the cross, to the glory of the resurrection, even just within the cross. Like, yes, God died for us. Jesus died for us. I'm forgiven. Amen. It's a good Friday, the best Friday ever, but it's also a gruesome worst Friday. There's nothing that compares to that tension. But there is a tension, and it's an appropriate tension. And so we don't need a this is like that. We don't need an illustration. We just need to sit in the tension of there's the grief of death. There is the glory of resurrection. Friday's here. Sunday is coming. The death of Jesus did satisfy the, the wrath of God, and it's gruesome, and it's awful. And the Son of God died for our sin and my sin, but he also gave us an invitation. And we just experienced that t tension together right now. As we see the invitation, you see it in a couple ways. You see an invitation of transformation. We see something really interesting, unique, and radical. We see a Roman centurion say, right after Jesus dies, hey, this is the Son of God. Now, a Roman centurion was a Roman soldier, but he was in charge of about 100 soldiers. Roman centurion, that's what that means. And so we know he's there. There's some other Roman soldiers that are there overseeing, maybe even, even helping with the death of Jesus. They are killing Jesus. This Roman centurion just helped kill Jesus. And now in a moment, he says, hey, this is the son of God. You see, this Roman centurion had killed lots of people. He had crucified lots of people. This was his old hat. This was what he did. But in this moment, he says, hey, 
something is different. I've never seen hours of darkness fall in the middle of the day. I've never seen somebody refuse the wine and the myrrh and the narcotic. I've never seen somebody cry out like this at the end of the, the cross. And you see this Roman centurion says, hey, this person is different. This is the son of God. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Mark 16 chapters. We're in chapter 15. Up until this point, no one besides Jesus himself, besides Mark, the author, no one besides the father, no one besides demons has called him the son of God. The first person outside of all those is the guy who killed Jesus. Listen, maybe today you think I'm too far gone. I've done too much. Tim, when you listed out those sins, I don't need to picture it. I live with that every single day. The pornography, the lust, the gossip, the greed, the lies. I know what I have done. I know what I haven't done. I know the sins of commission in my life. I know the sins of omission. Like, I, I know my sin. And maybe you think the cross is for other people, but it's not for me. In this moment, you see someone who just killed Jesus. Now proclaim that Jesus is the son of God. You see an, you see an invitation for transformation. The second way we see this invitation is we see this curtain is torn. You notice that? We go to another scene. They're not at the temple. They're on a hill. Jesus is being killed. That's what's happening in this moment. But Mark hops out of that scene to go to the scene of the temple. And that sin that led to separation, and part of that is this curtain, this barrier between sinful man and a holy God. And in this moment, Mark takes us to that scene and says, hey, as Jesus' flesh is torn, because it was, so also is the curtain torn in the temple. That what that means is the sin that led to separation, that separation is now gone. Why? Because the sacrifice, the appropriate sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice has been made. And sinful man can now step into the righteousness of Christ. They can shed their old clothes, the pornography, the lust, the greed, the gossip, the lies. They can take off their old clothes. We can take off our old clothes, and we can put on the clothes of Christ, of joy, patience, kindness, love. And we can put on those clothes, and we can be in Christ. You see that throughout Scripture? In Christ. And now, no barrier is necessary. The curtain has been torn. The last sacrifice has been made. It was the, the body of the perfect son of God. Right? So we see an invitation for transformation. We see an invitation for full access to God. On the worst Friday that ever happened, we see it is the best Friday. Because you and I, no matter how far you've gone, we can be reconciled to a perfect and holy God. Not because of you, because of the person and work of Jesus on your behalf. Amen? There is humiliation, there is separation, but there is an invitation. So how do we close this? I'm going to give you two takeaways. D.A. Carson, an author and theologian, said this. He said, the cross is where the wrath of God and the love of God collide. The cross is where the wrath of God and the love of God collide. And so there is the, the brutal reality that we all have to wrestle with today, the grief of death, 
that Jesus didn't just die for your sin, he died because of your sin. It's the wrath of God. Jesus drank the, the cup, the wrath of God for all of sin, like all the sins you've committed since you were little, all the sins till the day you die, multiply that times 100. Jesus took the wrath of God for sin. And he did it not just for you, but because of you, because of me. The cross is the place where the wrath and love of God collide. We have to realize, I hope you realize, I hope you meditate and reflect on the truth that Jesus died because of my sin. And I hope it brings you a little bit of sorrow. And I hope it it checks your sin a little bit. Next time you're tempted, today, next week, the cycles of sin that you're in, that you just, you think about, Jesus died for that. Jesus was humiliated and separated for that. And that as you see that sin and as you see, oh, it looks enticing though. I mean, the, the pornography, I mean, it looks like it's going to bring pleasure and that you would be reminded in that moment, it brings pain and it brought pain on Jesus because of you. And there's a sense where we need to wrestle with that and have the sorrow from that. And that's part of our takeaway and that's part of our response, but it's only part. Jesus died because of your sin, but he also died for your sin. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus that day, and it was the worst Friday ever, but it was also Good Friday, best Friday ever, because you see the love of God, and you don't just see it like he spoke it. You see he, he showed it to you, and he gave up his life. He did become sin for all of your sin, past, present, and future, so that you could be freed from it, forgiven, finally, so you could come to God, have full access to God the Father, so that you and I could come into a place like this and walk through these doors and be called the church, the body, the, the bride of Christ. And we could commune with the holy God. Amen? It's the best Friday. It's a good Friday. Jesus died because of your sin, yes, but he also died for your sin. He loves you more than you can ever dream or imagine. I told you earlier to picture those sins. Some of you still, that's all you can think about is the gossip, is the greed, is the lies, is the selfishness, is the pornography, is the lust. Some of you that keeps ringing in your mind right now, that's all you can picture. So I want you to do this. Here's how we're going to close. I want you to close your eyes with me, if you would. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to see that picture of your sin one more time. But I also want you to, to think about this. Just while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I want you to consider what Jesus accomplishes on the cross. That in scripture, we often see, and just just picture this, we often see the love of God, the grace of God. But what you notice is it's never just by itself like love, grace. There's always an adjective. Like in Ephesians 2, we see that, that God is rich in mercy. We see he's abounding in love. Ephesians 1, we see that God lavished his grace on us. Now, it's not just that God had love, grace, and mercy for you. It's that it was excessive, lavished, abounding, and rich. And so as you picture all of your sin, I want you to also picture the immeasurable grace, the abounding love, the rich mercy of God. And I want you to really think about this, that when Jesus died on the cross... 
That was his immeasurable grace. That was his lavishing grace. That was his rich mercy. That was his excessive abounding love washing you clean. White as snow. Every sin, past, present, future, commission, omission. Sins you remember, sins, if you're honest, you have forgotten. And like floodwaters, Jesus is a measurable grace, rich and abounding love. Wash you clean. So that right now in this moment, as you're thinking about your sin, if you would just trust and believe and release your sin to Jesus, in this moment, all of that sin is washed away. And when Jesus died on the cross, it was done once and for all. No more sacrifices need to be made. No more blood needs to be shed. The immeasurable, excessive grace of God was shed through the blood that was shed, and it's covered all your sin. And when God the Father looks at you right now in this moment, if you have trusted in him, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the sinless son of God in your place, and you are forgiven. You are united. You are loved because of his excessive, immeasurable grace displayed on the cross for you. Can you picture that? Father in heaven, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for the the grief of the cross, but also the glory of it. And God, I pray we would wrestle with that tension. That's what church is for. That's what we entered these four walls is to be reminded of your grace and be reminded of our sin and be reminded that your grace covers it all. And God, that allows us, even in the tension, to celebrate, to, to open up empty hands of faith and just say, God, you are amazing that you would love a sinner like me, that you would wash a sinner like me completely clean, not halfway, not make me do some more sacrifices, but one sacrifice done for all on my behalf for all of my sin. And in this moment that you look at us and you're satisfied with us, not because of us, but because of the sinless son of God in our place, God, that, that we would remember that, that we would celebrate that, that we would soak that in today, maybe like never before. Help us to do that right now in the name of Jesus.